Chapter 4, verses 3 through 6 of the Great Commentary of Cornelius Elipetti, St. Matthew's Gospel, by Cornelius Elipetti. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. And when the tempter came, came, i.e., a human form, with an audible voice, for this temptation of Christ, like that of Adam and Eve in their state of innocence, was affected by the external suggestion of the voice, not by internal cognitations and movements of the fancy, rising up against reason and the spirit, for in Adam, and much more in Christ, was original righteousness, which kept in subjection to the reason all motions of the soul and imagination, so that in him was no lawful thought, no motion of concupiscence, that could be stirred up by the devil, which as is stirred up in us since Adam's sin. For by it we have lost original righteousness and are vexed by concupiscence. So Damascene and from him theologians pass him. Whence St. Gregory, by suggestion Christ could be tempted, but his mind the delectation of sin wounded not. And therefore all that temptation of the devil was without, not within. The tempter, not because he is the only tempter, but because he is the first and chief among tempters. For they mistake who say that all temptation comes from Satan. Some temptations arise out of our own carnal will and frailness, and some from the world, i.e., from worldly and carnal men. So St. Chrysostom, many sin without the devil. He does not do everything. Many things even come from our own slothfulness alone. The devil, however, often rouses concupiscence in us by representing to the imagination things to be lusted after, and thus inflaming the sensual appetite. In the same way he stirs up the world, i.e. worldly and carnal men, to tempt us by persecuting us or by enticing us to their follies. So he is called the tempter. Cat exogenin. Note here the craft of the devil, how he tempts everyone by that to which he has a propensity, or in which he is weak as fowlers and hunters lay in snares for wild birds and beasts various sorts of food, such as each prefer, so also the devil offers the pleasures of the table to such as are prone to gluttony. To those who are full he offers ease and sloth, to the proud he offers honors, to the contentious lawsuits and strifes, to the avarice, usury, fraud, iniquitous bargains, and so on. If thou be, etc., the devil had heard the Father's voice at the baptism of Christ, Thou art my beloved Son. Yet for as much as he saw him, in some respects like a poor, weak, ordinary mortal, and being for that reason in doubt whether he were the very Son of God by nature, the word itself of the Father, or only a very eminent Son of God by adoption, he tempts Christ and asks him to turn stones into bread that by his performance of the miracle, or inability to perform it, he might determine what kind of son of God he was. For as by the word of God all things had been created in the beginning, so by the same word might stones be suddenly and instantly converted into bread. If therefore Christ had done this, the devil would have believed that he was the word of God. Angels indeed are able to turn stones into bread, but not suddenly and directly, but by degrees and indirectly, by applying active energies to passive objects, with many previous actions, alterations, and conversions, 
But if Christ could not have done what he was asked, and had said that he could not, and that this was a divine work, and peculiar to God, the devil would have urged, Then thou art not the word of God, nor his Son by nature. It is the probable opinion of many theologians that the sin and pride of Lucifer in heaven were that when God revealed to him that the Son of God would assume man's nature and bade him submit himself to Christ as man, he became envious of Christ, that a man forsooth should be preferred to himself, who was the most glorious angel, and that a man should be taken up into hypostatic union with the word. Of this honor he was himself ambitious, and so rebelled against Christ and God. When therefore he saw this man called the Son of God by John the Baptist and the Father, he wished to find out if he were really God's Son, that he might pour out upon him his pristine envy, fury, and indignation. So Suarez, this was Satan's cross, gnawing and tormenting his proud mind. But he conceals all this, veils it beneath the cloak of charity, that he wished to succor Christ in his hunger. Wherefore it is probable that the devil did not abruptly and without preface say to Christ, If thou be, etc., but first saluted him kindly, and insinuated himself by some such bland words as these, What, my Lord, are you doing here alone? I saw you baptized of late in Jordan. I heard a voice come down to you from heaven. This is my son. I should be glad to know whether you are truly the son of God by nature, or only his adopted son by grace. I observe also that you are utterly spent with hunger after your fast of forty days. If then you are the Son of God, relieve your hunger, convert these stones into loaves of bread. This for you were most easy. Wherefore, what St. Chrysostom says in this place is not so probable that the devil endeavored to tempt Christ to unbelief. Somewhat as though he had said thus, It is true you heard a voice at your baptism, This is my Son, but do not imagine yourself to be the Son of God. Or, if you are, turn these stones into bread. For it would have been folly to try and persuade Christ to believe that he was not the Son of God, if he was indeed his Son, and knew that he was. The devil wished also by this temptation to entice Christ to make a vain boast of his power, and to distrust the aid of God his Father. Your Father has for forty days been unmindful of you. He has not given you food. Now then, take care of yourself. There was also a temptation to gluttony, for the temptation to gluttony in this case would have been, on account of hunger, to yield to the devil, to acquiesce in his persuasions, and work a miracle. For this were indirectly contrary to religion, which forbids all commerce with Satan. Indirectly, it were contrary to temperance. Calvin, therefore, is wrong in denying that Christ was tempted to gluttony. Here is St. Gregory, where he teaches that Christ was assailed by a threefold temptation, viz. gluttony, vainglory, and avarice, because Adam had been attacked and vanquished by the same temptations. He tempted him to gluttony when he showed him the fruit of the forbidden tree and persuaded him to eat. He tempted him to vainglory when he said, Ye shall be as gods. He tempted him to covetousness, when he added, knowing good and evil, for avarice is not only of money, but also of greatness. 
for that is rightly called avarice, where loftiness above measure is ambitiously desired. Christ was assailed by the same temptations, but overcame them, by gluttony when the devil said, Turn these stones into bread. By vainglory, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. By covetousness, by magnificence, when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. But he answered, etc. The Greek and the Vulgate have, in every word. This is by analogy of the preposition in, every, for, from, every, as the Vulgate translates in Deuteronomy 8, 3. The passage which Christ here quotes, the Hebrew is, upon everything which goeth forth from the mouth of the Lord, shall man live. That is to say, on whatsoever thing the Lord shall command, or order for the sustenance of life, man shall live and be nourished, as he fed the Jews for forty years without bread, with manna from heaven. The discourse in Deuteronomy 8.3 is upon this manna and fed Moses, Elias, and Christ for forty days by his word, and by his power preserving nature. Thus, too, God nourished the abbot John for three years with the Eucharist alone, which he was accustomed to receive every Lord's day, when the angel said to him, Christ is thy true food. Palladius attests to this. So, too, God nourished St. Mary of Egypt for nearly forty-seven years in the desert, without earthly food, feeding her with tears and heavenly joys. So he fed Magdalene with nothing save angelic music, seven times a day repeated. Of this Petrarch sings, As pass the weary hours away, seven times is sung the angels lay, seven times in each revolving day. So the great St. Sabbas says the author of his life kept abstinence through all times of fasting, tasting no food whatever, save that on Saturdays and Sundays, he received the Holy Sacrament. Mystically, every faithful Christian lives by every word of God, one by receiving Christ, who is God's eternal word, and who, being made man, nourishes us by his doctrine, his grace, and his example. And we, by receiving himself, by receiving his flesh, receive his Godhead in the Eucharist. 2. God gives the words of sacred scripture, which feed by illuminating and inflaming the mind. 3. He feeds us by prayers and holy inspiration. Tropologically, St. Gregory here admires the bigness of Christ. Consider how great is the patience of God, and how great our impatience. If we be injured or provoked by any wrong, we are moved with wrath, and either revenge ourselves as far as we can, or threaten when we are not able. Behold, the Lord endured the onset of the devil, and answered him nothing save words of meekness. He endued him whom he might have punished. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, i.e. Jerusalem. The word then signifies that the devil, having been conquered by Christ in the first temptation of gluttony, immediately subjected him to a second vainglory. You may inquire why St. Luke places this temptation third instead of second. The reason is that St. Luke in this place, as in many others, disregards the chronological order of the temptations, which Matthew accurately observes. Whence the latter says in the eighth verse, again, the devil taketh him, and this is a natural and congruous sequence of temptation, to pass from gluttony to vainglory. So saints Chrysostom, Jerome, Hilary, and others. For when the devil sees anyone despise the pleasures and allurements of the flesh, 
he raises up against him the spiritual temptation of vanity and presumption. Taketh him. The first opinion we will here notice is that of St. Cyprian. He thinks that the devil's taking Christ up was not real but only imaginary, like the visions seen by Ezekiel, and such as are translations of sorcerers, who seem to themselves to be transported by the devil to a feast, a grand assembly, when in reality they are not transported, but the devil is playing tricks with their imagination, somewhat like the illusions of dreams. But we cannot suppose that the devil thus played false with the imagination of Christ, especially since the devil had no power over Christ's inner man. The whole of this temptation was effected by means of an external voice, not through interior suggestion. As I have already said from St. Gregory, 2. Euthemius and Maldonatus think that Christ was led by the devil upon his feet up to the pinnacle of the temple, and that Satan did this, lest by carrying him through the air he should betray himself. So likewise Anselm and Origen. But from the desert of Quarantana to Jerusalem is a long journey, greater than could well have been accomplished in a day. 3. And most probably Christ was taken up, i.e. was carried through the air to the pinnacle of the temple. So Saints Jerome, Gregory, Author Imperfecti, the Gloss, St. Thomas. Nor is it wonderful, says St. Gregory, that Christ should suffer the devil to deal with him in this manner, since he suffered himself to be crucified by the devil's members, the wicked Jews. Nor did the demon betray himself by this, because he might have transported Christ in the guise of an angel of light, or indeed he cared little now about betraying who he was, since he already suspected and feared that he was thoroughly known. Whence in the third temptation he boldly threw off all disguise of an angel of light and unveiled his satanic arrogance. The author Imperfecti, and from him St. Thomas, here observed that although the devil thus took up Christ so that Christ might be seen of all and be supposed to have commerce with Satan and be thought a magician, Christ so wrought unseen that he should be beheld of none, though the devil knew it not. So Christ made the devil suffer an illusion, who had intended to play falsely with him. For the demon thought that if Christ were the Son of God, he would not allow himself to be taken up and carried through the air, and by this would know whether he were the Son of God or not. But Christ, by suffering this, frustrated the devil's plan, and left him still in doubt. Whence St. Chrysostom was of opinion that the devil supposed that he carried Christ through the air to the pinnacle of the temple against his will, and because he was not able to resist him. Upon the pinnacle, it is probable that this pinnacle was the ridge or extreme point of the roof of the porch of that part of the temple which was called the sanctuary, or the holy of holies, for this part of the temple alone had a roof. The court of Israel was open to the sky and like a tower overtopped the whole edifice. It was 120 cubits high. If Christ had fallen down from thence, he would have fallen into the court of the priests, between the porch just spoken of and the altar of burning. The devil therefore suggested to Christ that he should cast himself down from this pinnacle into the court of the priests, using some such arguments as these, Cast thyself down and show thyself to the priests and the other worshippers of God, and to all the people, for they from the court of Israel were able to behold the sacrifices 
which were offered in the court of the priests. Show thyself, I say, by miraculously gliding down unhurt, to be the son of the true God, of him whom in this court all are worshipping, and to whom they are offering sacrifices. For by this temptation Satan wished Christ to make a vain show of himself and his glory. So Francis, Lucas, Toltus, and others. Jansen and Maldonatus understand the passage in another way. They observe that the houses and the temple of the Jews did not have steep roofs, but flat like a table, so that men could walk, dine, and even sleep upon them, as is plain from Joshua 2.6, Matthew 5, etc. They add that this flat roof was surrounded on every side by a low wall, or parapet, to prevent persons from falling down, according to the command of God. Deuteronomy 22. And it is probable that in this parapet there were some parts higher than the rest, as, for instance, at the corners, just as we see in the quadrilateral buildings at the present day. And they think that Satan placed Christ upon one of these angular turrets, which are called in Greek putigira, in Hebrew kinephrim, i.e. wings, because they towered aloft and were like expanded wings floating in the air. So Angelimus, Eucherius, Lyra, etc. By a similar temptation, as Cassian relates, the devil overthrew Hero, for when he had lived upon bread and water only, he persuaded him that he was so holy and so dear to God and the angels that they would bear him up if he were cast down from on high, wherefore he threw himself down headlong into a well, and there miserably perished. Moraliter, the devil who fell down from heaven into Tartus, strives to cast or drag others down with him. Wherefore, when he persuades anyone to sin, he causes him to cast himself down, as Christ saith to the perverse Jews, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. St. John eight twenty three. Again, Christ, studiously concealing from the devil that he was the Son of God, eluded all his arts and devices, and kept him in doubt and suspense, so that he should not know in what way he might tempt him. Wherefore, learn not to make known to every one the secrets of thy soul, lest thou be hindered of the devil. In battles the crown of victory is his who can conceal his own plans, and discover those of the enemy. A Christian learns by frequent experience that heroic acts of virtue are easily accomplished if the determination of them is kept secret in the mind and they are suddenly brought out into the sphere of action before the demon has been able to get scent of them and oppose them. This is the art of deluding the demon. For it is written, etc. A citation of Psalm 91.11. The angels in this place mean properly men's guardian angels, though any other messengers whom God sends in various ways to help and save men may be understood. Whence saints Chrysostom, Jerome, Hilary on this passage, Origen, Nazian, think that the devil here wrongly cites Holy Scripture, that the psalmist in the passage in question speaks of mere men, not of Christ, who was the God-man, for he had not, like other men, a guardian angel. The divinity itself was the guardian of his humanity. On the contrary, St. Ambrose and Rigmigius think that the devil did not rest this passage of the Psalms, but applied it rightly to Christ, for though he had not any stated guardian angel, he had all the angels at his call, 
all deputed to minister unto him. The devil did, however, rest the text so far as this, that he used it for an evil purpose, namely to make Christ cast himself down. For God hath promised this guardianship of the angels to the righteous who act prudently and piously, not rashly and presumptuously, after the manner of those who tempt God. Here St. Bernard, what has he commanded? Surely what follows in the psalm, that they may keep thee in all thy ways. Does he say in precipices in such a way as casting thyself headlong from the pinnacle of the temple? That is not a way, but a destruction, a downfall. Or if it may be a way, it is thine own, not God's. More litter. The same as St. Bernard, he has commanded his angels concerning thee, Wonderful condescension, and indeed great affection of his love, for to whom concerning whom, and what hath he commanded? After some other remarks, how great reverence ought these words to instill in you! What devotion, what trust! Reverence for their presence, devotion for their kindness, confidence for their protection. Walk then warily, as one to whom the angels are nigh, whithersoever thou mayest go apart. In every corner have thine angel in reverence. Dare not to do in his presence that which thou wouldst not dare to do if I saw thee. As often as any very fierce temptation is seen to oppress thee, or vehement tribulation to threaten thee, invoke thy guardian in those due times of trouble. Call upon him and say, Lord, save us, we perish. He neither slumbereth nor sleepeth. In their hands shall they bear thee. So of St. Benedict it was said by St. Bernard, that at a certain time, when he appeared to have his eyes intently fixed upon a refulgent light, he saw the soul of St. Germanus, Bishop of Capua, borne by the angels in a globe of fire into heaven. End of chapter 4, verses 3 through 6.